When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hi, and welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. It's me, it's Emma, I'm your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Shelby Harris onto this episode of the podcast. Now, I have a question for you, or several. Have you ever had trouble sleeping? Maybe you've gone through a spell of stress-related insomnia, really struggled to get back on track after jet lag, or just had a week or so, or a few nights in a row where your sleep has been really disrupted or poor and it's made you feel rubbish during the day. Well, Shelby is a licensed clinical psychologist who specialises in behavioural sleep medicine. So she really is the ideal person to chat to about what's normal with sleep, when there's an issue, how to create the best environment for a good night's sleep and much more. Also, crucially, how to dial it back from bad sleep to good sleep or better sleep at least. She's also written a book, The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia, Get a Good Night's Sleep Without Relying on Medication. And I was really interested in the first instance to ask whether insomnia was more of a female issue and also unpick the bit about not relying on medication. Like, Can you really achieve optimum sleep without a little bit of help? Apparently so. I found it extremely comforting speaking to Shelby and also reading her book. Incidentally, she writes in a way that answers your questions as you have them, which makes her book a real page turner. And it's comforting for me because like a lot of people I've spoken to, sleep is the first thing to go when I'm feeling stressed, have too much on my plate, or maybe I'm feeling run down. And speaking to Shelby, I was able to understand when a bad night's sleep is completely normal and nothing to worry about. And when it's something to have a little bit more of a think about. It also really flagged up to me how little effort I actually put into getting a good night's sleep or worse, how I do things with the intention of getting a better night's sleep that actually work against me and also how sort of cavalier I am about sleep compared to diet and exercise when actually it's hugely important to my and our health. This conversation and the book has definitely made me reassess all aspects of sleep and how I nurture my sleep habits. The link to the book's The links to the book and to Dr. Shelby Harris will be in the show notes, but I hope you find this episode as useful, helpful and comforting as I did. I actually want Shelby to come back on a million times to talk about sleep because I do think it is a fundamental pillar of wellness. But here she is for the first time, hopefully, the wonderful Dr. Shelby Harris on The Emma Gunn Show. Uh, Dr. Shelby Harris, welcome to the Emma Gunn Show. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I'm um, really, really pleased that I'm going to be talking to you because the subject of sleep, I think, is probably something that everybody can relate to on a very emotional level. Uh (laughs) We all do it. We all do it or should do it. Yes. That's the problem. But it is, I mean, a frequent expression I hear from people is, oh, the second I'm stressed, my sleep goes. Mm -hmm. And it does seem to, it's one of our fundamental pillars for being well, yet it can be one of the first thing that shows signs of fragility 
when other aspects of our lives are out of whack and you have spent a long time studying it. Yes, I have. So really, there is no one better <laughs> to unpick sleep with. So just to uh, put you into context for listeners, um, how long have you been studying sleep? Well, I, let's see. So I've been practicing for about 15-ish, maybe even longer, years at this point. And I was a director of a sleep behavioral sleep medicine program at a at a hospital just outside of New York, in New York City, and I was there for about a decade. So mm -hmm. I've been doing this for a while, working with just yeah. sleep patients, and now I'm in private practice, and I see um, patients with sleep disorders, but I also see anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. I just want a little more variety, but I've been seeing sleep disorders for 15-ish years or more. And are they all linked? Is that yeah. why the anxiety and depression is kind of... Very linked. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes, or actually a lot of times I find, and this is what I did at the sleep center, if you treat someone's sleep, and you were alluding to this earlier, if you treat someone's sleep, a lot of times their anxiety and depression improves. Mm. You improve your sleep, your coping skills get better, mm. you can deal with life better. Yeah. And so you don't always have to focus as much on anxiety and depression. But a lot of times there is other stuff going on too, and we need to address that as well. And that's why I liked doing it more in practice on the side. Yeah, but I mean, it's all it's all so, so interesting. And as you said, uh, listeners, I was uh, saying to Shelby, Dr. Harris earlier, Shelby, uh, Shelby <laughs> that um, I've suffered with insomnia and really disrupted, interrupted mm -hmm. sleep for a long time. And that, that's when I know, well, I need to look at other things in my life because... Yeah. That's why sleep's being affected. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that is important to do. I mean, mm. it's always important to do that, to look at all the areas of your life and mm. look at your stress, anxiety levels, depression, whatever it might be, medical. There can be a million reasons why people have insomnia. And sometimes I have patients that come to me and they cannot pinpoint any mm. reason why it might develop. Sometimes you just have insomnia. You just don't know why. Mm. And yes, you might have to address those other factors, um, but sometimes you don't have to, and you have to address the things behaviorally that you're doing that yeah. might be making the insomnia keep going on and on and on. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong. Like if somebody's listening to this and they're having, they're experiencing insomnia, yeah. you might not be doing, they might not be doing anything wrong. Like it's okay. It happens. Yeah, it happens. It's super common. Mm -hmm. I've had insomnia myself. It's something that we just, we're humans. Mm -hmm. I, I say this to my patients all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't sleep perfect every night. We just have to know when we're starting to have trouble and mm -hmm. what are the things we can do to get ourselves back on track to fix it. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons that we are talking is because you've got this brilliant book. Thank you. That I I was saying to Shelby before we started recording, every chapter I read, I would think, oh, I really want to know the answer to these questions. And then I'd start the next chapter and <laughs> lo and behold, we clearly have a similar thought process. Yeah. But the book is called The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. And insomnia actually is, unfortunately, more likely to affect women yeah it is at a rate of three to two times more than men it's Yikes. really it's a problem mm. and we've always just kind of lumped it together just insomnia that everyone has it but mm. really we need to focus on it for women more too and what does what does that potentially is it because of hormones is it because of yeah load-bearing 
everything. (laughs) You hit it. There's a few reasons. Hormones are one really big reason, Mm -hmm. and that is throughout the lifespan. So we actually see insomnia rates, so trouble sleeping, we see equal in children and young adolescents. Mm -hmm. Once we reach adolescence and our hormones for women, we start to have estrogen levels and progesterone levels start to change and women start to, or young adolescents, I should say, start to hit menstruation. Mm -hmm. That's when we actually see women start to have more rates of insomnia over men. And it's during that time of menstruation, just before Mm. some women have trouble sleeping for about three to five days just before they menstruate. And that can happen month after month. So that's a very common time for insomnia Mm. for women. And then pregnancy, Mm -hmm. you're uncomfortable. Stress is a big one, right? I, I hear from people, myself included, you're in your first trimester, you're having to urinate all the time at night. You just hormone changes. You're napping during the day. You can't sleep at night. And then when you're in your third trimester, you're uncomfortable, mm. right? You're just, I mean, there's no, no way to get around the fact that you have a big tummy and you just can't get comfortable at night, <laughs> peeing again throughout the night. Mm. And then your brain, I had dreams and nightmares about how am I going to take care of this baby? My brain was almost trying to prepare myself mm. for the upcoming childbirth. Yeah. And so sleep really gets lost then. And then the other Two big stages when we tend to have big sleep changes are after the baby comes, Mm -hmm. right? Women, it's normal to not sleep well. You're breastfeeding a lot of the time or you're feeding a baby um, throughout the night. Babies don't know night versus day. Mm -hmm. And then as time goes on, women sometimes, a lot of my friends, myself included, have this issue. They tend to worry about their child at night and then or whatever else they have to do, even though the child might not have any issues Mm -hmm. and might be sleeping fine. They don't sleep fine. They're always keeping an ear out. Mm. So they don't sleep well. Insomnia develops then. And then we start to hit perimenopause. So that's when hormones change drastically again. Mm. We start to have estrogen drops, progesterone drops, hot flashes. A lot of women will report that they wake up in the middle of the night and their mind is just racing. Mm. They're dripping in sweat and they can't go back to sleep. So throughout the life from adolescence all the way until menopause, we tend to have major stages when we can have more insomnia than men. It stinks. In, yeah, I mean, it really does. It yeah. really does. Um, and actually, in terms of perimenopause, and mm-hmm. you mentioned estrogen and progesterone levels changing, that's normally what happens just before yeah. you menstruate. So it would make sense that that the disruption of the three to five days that you mentioned before your period exactly would manifest itself as a bigger issue when those uh, levels were really being affected by a hundred percent right okay. yeah yeah that it's all the hormone drops the big swings <laughs> is really what what can affect the sleep problems yeah but the good news is listeners because it might sound doom and gloom i know a lot of you are women <laughs> hello to the men is that there are things that you can do practical things that you can change there are tweaks that can be made to lifestyle. Yeah. You've got some really useful tips. I love sleep hygiene, but we're going to get on to all of that. Yeah. They're useful tips. And then the other reason I decided to write the book too is that there's a lot of misnomers out there. Like some women just think that they're the only ones who are suffering from mm-hmm. sleep problems during perimenopause or after having a baby. It's weird. Like at least from the people that I work with, some women just don't talk about it. I don't know why they power through and they think they're talking about sleep disorders or not being able to sleep is a sign of weakness. Yeah. And I wanted women to know that, okay, having sleep problems during perimenopause or after babies or whatever is actually, there's a normal mm. aspect to it. Some things can be treated. Some things are a little bit more difficult. Mm. Sometimes you have to ride it out. Sometimes there are things we can really do that are effective. That's so comforting yeah. to know that it's normal. And I think, yeah, I do think sometimes 
I, I find it really interesting that a lot of the vocabulary that we use, like if I hadn't seen, like if I see you next year and you say, oh, how are you, Ems? How's it been going? I'd probably say, oh, I'm busy, mm-hmm. tired. So we use vocabulary like that yeah. as like a badge of honor, but we don't then take a step back from the I'm tired and go, oh, because maybe I'm not sleeping right because maybe I'm eating too late yeah. or I'm on my phone all the time. Yeah, maybe there's actually something <laughs> we're doing that's creating part of the problem. So it's interesting that you say that, that, you know, the the actual, the identifying the sleep problem is yeah. only one step away from that. I'm tired. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. It's really true. <laughs> but maybe we're not unpicking it as much. So yeah. um, also you've worked in this field for a long time, mm-hmm. but you also have your own personal experience of this. Yeah. Do you think that's why you're so passionate and in, and is, is is the thing that you do as an adult? Uh, yeah, that's one reason. The main reason I initially started getting into it was that I was a big sleepwalker as a kid. So when I was, oh, I want to say six, seven, eight years old, and it's normal to be a sleepwalker as a child. Um, sleep talker, that stuff can happen for a little mm. while. I was pretty bad at it. I always had to have a bottom bunk at camp. I remember um, vaguely, usually when you sleepwalk, you have no recollection or only a tiny recollection. Mm. I remember trying to leave my parents' house and then opening up the sliding glass door in the back. And I just remember setting off the alarm and then my dad like waking me up because he had um, a bat and thought there was a burglar there. And I mean, it wasn't good. So I did a lot of those sorts of behaviors. Um, and I was, when I grew, I finally grew out of it and I was just really fascinated with it. And mm-hmm. then when I went to um, college, there was a really big sleep researcher there. And then when I went um, and did a little bit of research working with people who had alcoholism, we mm-hmm. found that if we, when they were in rehab, if we treated their insomnia right after they left rehab, their relapse rates to alcohol actually dropped significantly because one reason that people often go back to alcohol right after leaving rehab is that they're complaining they can't sleep anymore. And so they go back to the alcohol to help them sleep. Mm -hmm. So if we treat their insomnia using something else, it helps to reduce their relapse rates. So I found just treating sleep to be so powerful Mm -hmm. in so many areas that that's why I do it to this day. I mean, it is a really powerful, it's a fundamental pillar of wellness, right? A hundred percent. But it's fascinating to me because at least where I am in the States, we're so focused on diet and exercise as being a pillar of wellness, Mm. but we don't talk about sleep. We're starting to talk about sleep more, but Mm. we really don't talk about it as much as we should because the reality is if you sleep better, the diet and the exercise, you get better benefits from them. Yes, because you're not going to crave sweet stuff if you've... Okay, Exactly. Right. There's so much to unpick here. So just um, in order to create some sort of clarity over insomnia yeah. and sleep, in- insomnia isn't an umbrella term, is it? It's quite a specific definition or it covers yeah. a lot? I mean, people will talk about it like, oh, I had insomnia last night, meaning mm-hmm. they just didn't sleep last night. Um, but the actual clinical term of insomnia it typically is usually more than two nights a week. Mm -hmm. So three or more nights a week where you're not sleeping. And what does that mean? It's you're having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or you wake up too early, Mm -hmm. but it also has to create a problem for you. So whether you're just annoyed by it, you feel like you have some fogginess or memory problems Mm -hmm. during the day, you're calling in sick to work. It has to create some problem, irritability. Mm -hmm. That's when you, when that's happening more than three, three or more nights a week, 
for a few months on end, that's when you actually have chronic clinical insomnia. Oh, okay. So it's normal to have a bad night here and there. Right. And I have a bad night here and there. And that's okay. But when it's happening multiple times a week, then you want to get it addressed because it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Individual variability from night to night is not necessarily a reason to start medicating yourself left and right. Okay. And we will come on to that later for sure. But sleep disorders would be grouped as... Would that be sleepwalking and would that be... Oh, there's a whole bunch of different types of sleep disorders. So you could have insomnia, Mm -hmm. like we were just talking about. You could have sleepwalking, sleep talking. Um, There's nightmare disorders. So I'd see a lot of patients who have chronic nightmares and then they have insomnia on top of that because now they're scared to go to sleep Mm. or they wake up because of a nightmare and they can't go back to sleep. Um, There's sleep apnea, which is extremely common. So people who snore at night and they might be really sleepy during the day or just feel like their sleep is unrefreshing. Or there are some people who have insomnia, and this is really important, that some people have insomnia, they wake up, but they're actually waking up because they're snoring and they don't realize it. So if you're someone who snores or you have a spouse or a significant other or a bed partner who's telling you that you snore, and maybe there's a little bit of pausing in your breathing or choking or gasping that's happening, you definitely want to get that evaluated because that could be contributing to your insomnia or you're feeling very fatigued the next day as well. And and sleep apnea is super common. I think that's another thing as well as um, I posed this question in the Facebook group for the podcast about the fact that I was going to be speaking to you. And a lot of the comments that came back were, sleeping but not feeling refreshed Mm -hmm. or sleeping 10 hours still feeling terrible or sleeping really well but then really needing a nap by three o'clock yeah um so that would imply that somewhere along the line maybe the quality of sleep is yeah so if you feel like you're getting a good amount of sleep on a regular basis and one thing to note is that you're not taking anything that Mm -hmm. could be impacting it so a lot of people will have alcohol before going Mm -hmm. to bed or within three hours that's going to impact the quality of it a lot of caffeine can impact the quality of your sleep Sometimes people are taking medications that could impact the quality of sleep. But if you're still having poor quality sleep and you're getting a lot on a regular basis, not just one night and you're still tired the next day, Mm. but at least in a week or two, go see your physician because there might be something else going on that's impacting the quality. But then I watched this report. Actually, it was in the Mm. links and I was doing my research on you. Prescriptions for sleeping aids are actually given quite freely. Yeah. I guess because it's a quick fix, you're having a bad night's sleep, it can be solved pretty much tomorrow by tomorrow morning. Yes. Or can seem as though it is. Yes. The sleep aids, you know, I can speak for it in the States mostly. Mm-hmm. It's, they're very common. It's been a very common quick fix, but it, it's starting to swing in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. The type of treatment that I do, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, is now in our primary care system. That is the first-line treatment, more so than medication. That's actually what's recommended to be tre- uh, for the treatment for insomnia, wow. more, more so than medication. problem is there aren't many people who are super qualified to do it. Mm. So there aren't many of me around, and that's <laughs> a big problem. Um, but we do find that when you use medication... There are some people who just are using it for too many years mm-hmm. and it can become a dependence issue, but it can, for some people, they, they love it. We don't know what the long-term effects are typically, mm-hmm. but a lot of people are finding, the people that come to me usually are finding that they're feeling groggy the next day. They're mm-hmm. feeling a little bit foggy mm-hmm. even, and they just don't like how they, they, they're sleeping, but they don't love how they feel on it. And if you do have any of that snoring issue that's going on, some of the medications can actually worsen the snoring or sleep apnea. So you do want to get all that evaluated regardless. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's not simple. Yes. Okay. 
So let's, because uh, you also talked then about red wine and caffeine and yeah. things, and you call them sleep stealers. In the sleep stealers, yeah. Which I really, really like. Now, you talked about your issues as a child uh, with sleepwalking, and we kind of already said this off tape, but I wanted for the benefit mm. of the listeners to say, if you struggle with sleep, might it be uh, the case that your children then might potentially inherit? Yeah, insomnia is a tricky one. We don't really, you're not necessarily going to have a, a child who has insomnia if you have insomnia, but mm. that being said, anxiety, depression tend to be very hereditary. Mm. And if you have that, you might pass that on. Mm. Um, but sleepwalking disorders, sleep talking, night terrors, those are very hereditary. So I, I, we were saying earlier, um, my daughter, I'm starting to know she's four. She's having a lot of like the sleep talking at night and doing some sleepwalking behavior. So I'm trying to keep the environment as safe as possible and putting up gates at the top of our Mm -hmm. stairs and trying to make sure she gets enough sleep on a regular basis. If you're someone who sleep talks or sleepwalks, sometimes medication can get in the way. You have to make sure medically you're fine. But in kids, it's often that it's just a developmental thing Mm -hmm. and you have to make sure they're getting enough sleep on a regular basis. How can somebody prioritize their sleep in order to maximize it without becoming boring? <laughs> because I feel like I know. I feel like that might be an obstacle of just, oh, I go to bed at the same time every night. I turn my phone off an hour before I go to bed. It seems like quite boring stuff. Right. Even though the the rewards that you reap from doing it are obviously huge, right? But do you do you find that that's a barrier that you experience with people oh, yeah. sometimes? <laughs> okay, good. yeah, I'm highly boring to many people. <laughs> I try to just just like with diet and exercise, you have to look at it. That's why I'm such a big fan of trying to consider one of those pieces of wellness, right? Mm-hmm. If you can do it most days, that's the goal, right? right? So if you can aim to try and be consistent most days, you will reap the benefits. And the other thing is that. Yes, on the weekend, you know, it's not necessarily ideal to lose out on three, four hours of sleep. And if you're someone who's having trouble sleeping most nights, especially Sunday nights, a lot of people have Sunday night insomnia, Mm -hmm. you're probably staying up too late Friday or Saturday night, and then you're sleeping in Saturday, Sunday, and you're not up enough hours on Mm -hmm. Sunday during the day to be able to go to bed at the time you want come Sunday night. So you do have to make it a priority if you want to better your sleep in the long run. Mm. But just try to do most days of the week. If you can do most days, you'll get at least more benefit than not. But if you're if you don't do it, you're not going to get the benefits. Mm. I mean, it is what it is. And like you say, so if you're looking after your diet, if you're exercising, yeah. It's a really important step to try right. and maximize your sleep. So what is the first thing if someone comes to you and they say, "Look, Dr. Harris, I'm sleeping terribly and I feel like it's impacting my life." Yeah. Where do you begin? That's a great question. It really depends upon the person. Mm. Um, I often, if a lot of my patients will do that sleep in sort of thing on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So I start with just trying to regularize, regularize some sort of a sleep schedule for them. That's where I start mm-hmm. usually. So we're not going to have you sleep in three, four hours on the weekend. If you're someone who has insomnia. Mm-hmm. So there's the basic sleep hygiene stuff, which, you know, alcohol, limiting alcohol, heavy meals, Um, but I really try to get them to wake up at the same time, seven days a week. It's not easy. Mm. It's really not easy. But if you start doing that, you're going to really help yourself come Sunday, Monday night. It's circadian rhythms. And it's because ultimately Uh human beings as a mammal are, we're mammals, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) We are. Um, (laughs) Sorry, listeners. Brain moment. (laughs) Um, we are, um, we're, we're creatures of habit. Yeah. I always say to my patients, we're born to live in a cave. I mean, that's really what was meant to happen. We are born to live with light cycles. 
when mm. the sun goes down shortly after we go to bed we wake and then we wake up when the sun starts to come up the invention of alarm clocks and modern technology with going and having one schedule for the week and then mm. shift it's almost like we think we have a switch in our backs mm. that we can have like weekday time zone and then weekend time zone mm. and we haven't adjusted to that there are some people who can do that no problem but if you're someone whose sleep is really not great you're just more sensitive to it and you really mm. need to be consistent i must say a million times in my book that consistency is key and that's really what our bodies crave to keep all of those time clocks in our cells on the right schedule to help everything line up perfectly mm. it's like we've tried to buck the system mm-hmm. yeah and even with something like i was listening to an interview with dr Rhonda patrick recently about something completely different about intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and it was the data that's come back about people who work on split shifts yeah and really really break that circadian rhythm uh-huh. and the instances of um basically ill health yep it's yeah it's really not good our bodies are meant to be awake during the day sleep at night and not shift it for just two days on the weekend Mm -hmm. and it it means jet lag it's it's essentially what we're trying to do and we need to be consistent as often as we can yeah my first question Shelby when I um, (laughs) saw her today was because she's only been in London for two days is um how's the jet lag and you were like well we're not supposed to fly across the fly across the world really yeah we're not we're not meant to, to just travel across the world in, what, six, seven hours. and Skip just a few time zones. Skip a few time zones. I mean, the rule of thumb, really, that I tell everyone is that number of time zones crossed is number of days it usually takes to fully adjust. Oh, seriously? Yeah. yeah. So some people can do it no problem, mm-hmm. and they're, they're those lucky few people. But really, I can't even diagnose someone with jet lag disorder unless they've been suffering for two weeks. So, okay. yeah, it's normal to take some time to adjust. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about getting up and going to sleep at the same time oh. every day because we know that this is a really good practice. Yeah. Can you be a little bit faster than these with that, like, half an hour either side? Yeah. You can, yeah. I mean, it's a half hour, hour on the weekends, mm. you know. It, that's fine. But a lot of people just try to sleep in. And if they normally wake up at, let's say, 6.30, 7 a.m. On, a on a weekday, they're trying to sleep until 9, 10 in the morning on weekend. And that's when you're starting to get too greedy. But half hour, hour is not going to make a huge difference in the long run. If you're a good sleeper overall. What's a good thing to do on the weekend if you're like, right, my alarm's gone off. I don't mm. want to get up at the same time as I do for work. But is there something you can do? Is there a good habit to get into that gets you up and out of bed? Right. If you're an exerciser, morning exercise is great. So mm. I, my husband, I have two little kids at home. My husband, the weekend mornings are his mornings with the kids. Mm. We've, and I, I run and I run with a running group. So they know that we all are meeting on Saturday and Sunday mornings pretty early. We usually meet at about 8 a.m., but sometimes we do extra miles and we'll meet even earlier. And I know that there are people there waiting for mm. me. So I have some accountability oh, to accountability. get up and be there. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. I also have some patients because I I work just outside of New York City. So I have patients that I try to get them to see, well, now you can actually use the laundry in your building and it'll be empty. Mm. Like try to do things and maximize that time. But I'm a big fan of just doing classes. If there's a workout class, Mm. if there's anything that you can go to, have a friend, a lot of, I mean, a lot of women have insomnia. A lot of women are getting up early anyways. Mm. Have a friend that you can meet for coffee, for breakfast. Try and do something Mm. on a regular basis if you can. And if you have little kids at home, I know you're tired, but maybe just get out and sit on the couch with them Mm. at least. Just get out of bed. Mm. That's going to be the first step. Interestingly about exercise, 
I think sometimes if I'm tired or mm -hmm. struggling to sleep, I think, well, I'll wear myself out. Yeah. But if one is already experiencing disrupted sleep, might you already be in a state of, oh, well, let's ask you this. Does overtiredness actually exist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Overtired. It, you see it, you know, you see, you see it a lot in kids. Mm. So they don't look sleepy. They look like they're running around like just crazy, essentially. Jacked up on something. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's actually a sleepy child. Mm. And we can, as adults, we can get overtired too, but we're, it's just hard for us to always recognize it. Mm. Um, but exercise is a funky one. So exercise in the morning doesn't hurt or help sleep really. I use it more as just a timing thing for me mm -hmm. because it's the only time I can really do it. And yeah. I get up early in the morning and I work out. Um, but if you want to exercise, don't do, some people do that kind of, I'm going to do it so I can tire myself out, mm -hmm. but they do it within three hours of going to bed. Yes. So they do it right before and they go like, I'm going to take this great class. It's actually going to hurt the quality of your sleep you get mm -hmm. because what you're doing is you're warming your body up. And then you're not having enough time to cool off before you go to bed. And what we need to do is actually mm. have our bodies cool off about an hour and a half to two hours before we go to bed. And the reason that happens is our body temperature cools off throughout the night and it reaches a drop right before we wake up in the morning. And melatonin, have you ever heard of melatonin? Mm. So melatonin is made in our brains. It's not just a pill that you can get as a prescription or over the counter, depending where you are. Melatonin comes out when the sun goes down. That's why we need darkness to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, but it comes out when our body temperature starts to drop and it makes us sleepy. So if you're working out just before bed, yeah. trying to make yourself all tired, you're raising your body temperature. You're making your melatonin and other, other mm -hmm. things in your body not sleep inducing. Mm -hmm. So I actually recommend people to work out about four to six hours before bedtime instead. So then you're having some time to raise your body temperature and then you have now four hours or so to cool off. So you get it. To so it's it good. Drop. Yep. So that's actually where you see the best benefit for sleep. Yeah. Interesting. But it's not easy for a lot of people timing wise to do. Can you cheat that? Because I um, am a big fan of cold showers. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I'm struggling to sleep... Um, often it manifests in feeling fidgety. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I have a cold shower. Cold shower. That's interesting. So a lot of people do hot showers. Mm. So they do it more to just like calm their brain or mm. patients who take hot baths. A cold shower tends to be a little too shocking for some people. Mm. What I usually end up having them do to cheat it is they'll do a hot bath for about 20 minutes, not scalding, but hot, mm. about an hour and a half before bedtime. It works faster than the exercise. So an hour and a half to two hours before, you take a hot bath for 20 minutes, you warm yourself up, and then you cool off, and it works a little quicker. So it mm. does the same sort of thing. And it, you know, if you take a nice warm bath, that can be calming too. I'm all for people taking baths if, they, if it's calming and relaxing, mm. and you can make it into a meditative state for yourself. Well, we must come on to mindfulness at some yeah. point during this because there are so many things that you can do. And it, all of these things, what you refer to as sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene is like, when you think about it as um, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, which is a whole treatment package, mm -hmm. one module of it is sleep hygiene. So that's the stuff that we often see in magazines or on mm -hmm. TV, which is the like limit alcohol within three hours of bed, don't exercise or have heavy meals within mm -hmm. three hours of bed, don't look at your phone. That's all helpful. But if you have really bad insomnia that's been going on for a while, usually changing that alone isn't going to make it 
enough of a difference. Then we add in other things. We'll add in mindfulness. We can add Mm -hmm. in um, getting out of bed if you can't sleep. That's another big one that's hard for a lot of people to do, but it works really well. And then we'll change. This is the biggest thing that I do is I change people's bedtimes and wake times. Mm -hmm. Completely change them based on how much sleep they're getting on average on a regular basis. So if you're coming to me only getting five hours of sleep a night, but you're in bed eight or nine hours every night, hoping that one night will be that magic night Mm -hmm. you get nine hours, I'm going to have you be in bed five or six hours a night. And I'll give you a prescriptive uh, window to be in bed every single night. And that's where I usually start with a lot of patients. I'll give them that sleep window to start with. And then we slowly increase it as they improve. Oh, interesting. It's, it's a very, it's an anti-common sense thing. So, right. so a lot of people develop insomnia. And when you develop insomnia, I always think of it as like you're doing whatever you can to, to cope with the fact that you're not sleeping. Mm. So you start taking medication or you're having a glass of wine or you're taking a nap or sleeping in in the morning because you're just... You're trying to deal with the fact that you're not sleeping. Mm. But that's actually what's getting you in the trouble in trouble in the long run. So then we try to go against common sense because that's actually what fixes it. Huh. So all the things that we think are going to help are yeah. actually working against us. Exactly. And I, always, and I think I might even say in the book, I don't remember, but I, it's so powerful that even for myself, if I, I have family members who don't sleep and I'll look at them and I'll say, you look so tired. Go take a nap. And I have to stop myself because I know that that's actually going to make it worse. Oh, a nap's bad. Naps, if you're in, a, if you have horrible <laughs> oh, insomnia, oh, they're right. bad. If you're, if you don't have any trouble sleeping, a 20 minute power nap before about um, two in the afternoon. What would that be? Here, I know. I always say two in the afternoon in the U.S. So 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, would be fine. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. So if you can do that, you're good. 20 minutes, not longer, because you do longer, you're actually going to wake up groggier. I heard, and I've forgotten the gentleman who said it, it was on Tony Robbins' podcast, talk about, have you heard about this? The Napspresso? Yes, it, I call it, that's a coffee nap. Coffee nap. <laughs> so that's actually, I hate to admit it, but that's what we use a lot. And like, I, cause I worked in a hospital for a long yeah. time with people, with some of the physicians and residents who were working really long shifts. I have them take a cup of coffee, you drink it, takes about a half hour for the caffeine to hit your system. We're talking about um, a shot, more of a shot of coffee than like a milky drink, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you do that. It takes a half hour for the coffee to hit your system. So what you do is you take a nap right after you drink it. And then you wake up, you get the double effects. You set your alarm. And then when you wake up, no exactly. grogginess, you're, you're out the gate. Exactly. But the big thing, and the, the thing is though, a lot of the people that I work with then start to abuse it. And I always say you can't fake wake. So you can use it once in a while, but there's no substitute for a quality night of sleep. I've just realized it's not a naspresso, it's a nappuccino. Nappuccino. I mean, those are are funny terms. We we just call it a coffee nap all the time in the sleep field. It's been around for years. Oh, has it? (laughs) This is the thing is all of this expertise, whether it's via podcast or just the fact that there's so much more media out there. We're getting access to the kind of yeah, tricks finally, that yeah. professionals who work 20-hour yeah, shift use. Exactly. It's just stuff that I, I've been recommending to our residents mm. for years. Which is the thing that does make me think, Emma, I don't think you need to have a nappuccino. Yeah. Because actually, you don't have to be on shift dealing with people's health. Well, I mean, that's the thing. is that There's also going to be days where you sleep fine mm. and you're tired once in a while. I mean, mm. I get tired. It's normal. But if you're feeling... And that's why... I mean, I drink coffee. It's okay, but if you're finding that you're needing it and you can't get through the day with, mm. you know, a lot of coffee, all right, then you need to really start addressing what's going on. Is there a sleep quality, sleep quantity issue? Mm. What is the problem here? Okay, can we talk about the bedroom? Love and it. To, and talk about how to make the bedroom 
a place where one can sleep mm-hmm. um, because obviously it, it's it can be a place where lots of stuff happens yeah there's media in there there's a lot of light like yeah. how do you make a bedroom your nest without it becoming just a bed and <laughs> I know. much more I, I often tell people to make it a pretty cave which Aww. sounds kind of eh. but it, that's how mine is right I, it, you want it quiet dark and cool but also comfortable, right? So it has to be quiet. That's a key. Mm. Um, do whatever you can to block noise, whether that's using a white noise or a pink noise machine. You can get those online. What is white noise and what is pink, pink noise? noise? Yeah, that's a new thing. So white noise is just like a shh kind of um, noise that you would get. On a, you can get them on a fan almost. Um, or you can get it in like, you can get, we use them in therapist's office all the time. We put them right outside just to block the noise. But it's just a very gentle, constant shh noise. Okay. That's the key. And it's the steady, constant noise that you will get used to and be able to sleep through. People right. often get noises like jungle noises or they'll sleep with mm. the TV on. That inconsistency and in volume and noise actually can wake you up and make your sleep quality uh, worse. Yeah. So we don't want that. Earplugs, like silicone earplugs mm-hmm. are great. Um, anything to block the noise. Comfortable. So sheets, tr- whatever you can afford, make it comfortable. Mm-hmm. We spend a third of our lives sleeping or we're supposed to. Make it that you have a comfortable bed. If you have chronic insomnia, a mattress usually isn't going to solve your problem. But if you have a really old mattress that's just got a sagging point in the middle mm-hmm. and it's just not comfortable, get a new mattress. Do what you can. Invest in what you can. Is there a material that's better for your sheets in terms of optimizing that coolness? Or... Not really. I mean, it's really a lot of it's personal preference. You'll see mm-hmm. one that's recommended by one sleep doctor. Or something. There's no studies that mm-hmm. show that one thing is better than another. It's really... I always say it's what's what's good for you. Mm. So what mattress is comfortable for you? There are people who will sleep, who need a $20,000 mattress to sleep. There are other people who will sleep on a floor with no problem. So mm. try out a bunch of things. And what feels cool to you just is great. If you're someone who has hot flashes at night, think about the pajamas that you're wearing. Mm. So there are actual moisture wicking pajamas that you can get um, that are made of a special technical fabric. So you're not going to wake up soaked in sweat. Mm. Um, and a cool room is really important. So whatever fan you can use, if you have air conditioning, that would be mm. great. Sleep with a window open. If it's not too noisy out, try to optimize that environment. And then the darkness is really, really important. So a lot of people will get room darkening shades, but you need light blocking. Mm. You want it dark. And if you can't do that, try an eye mask. Do whatever you can to make it as dark as possible. Does it make, does the darkness thing make that much of a difference? It really does. Um, If you close your eyes, you can still sense light coming through. And remember that melatonin that makes you sleepy, we call it the hormone of darkness. So it (laughs) needs darkness to be sleepy. Sounds like a rock band. I know, it does. (laughs) It's sleep inducing. Mm. So it stops coming out about two hours before you wake up, and it needs that light exposure to to suppress the melatonin to help wake you up more. But when you start sensing light, you're going to start waking up. We're We're very sensitive to it. So I notice that I wake up a lot earlier if I can even see a little light coming through the sides of my shades. Yeah. So if you can do drapes on the sides, do whatever you can. I made sure that my kids' rooms are super, super, super dark. See, I think as a kid, I used to quite like sleeping with the curtains open. Yeah. Because I used to quite like, if I woke up, I wasn't scared. It must be that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, there's a comfort issue for Mm. sure for that. But from day one, when I had when I had my kids, I made sure that their mm. room was really dark. But I also, you know, I'm not a I'm not opposed to night lights, things like that. Mm. But 
that you can keep as a steady light at the same time. You're yeah. not changing the clock. A lot of people will come to me complaining that their kids are waking up at five in the morning and when it's the summertime. This is something that you can actually right. control a little bit better as opposed to the sun. Um, have you, obviously, there are alarm clocks that um, yeah. wake up, make you yeah, up as if I had one of those and I had to, I had to destroy it. You did. I really hate it. You know it. what I use? I use that more for um, the dawn simulators. I use those mm-hmm. for uh, my night shift um, patients or the ones who work at times where they have to get up when the sun is not out yet. So uh. I'll have them. It tricks their brain into thinking that the day is coming. That's really clever. Yeah. So that's when I do use it. But yeah, for the rest of the patients, they, they have that same reaction. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Um, also, what is the kind of best way to ease your way into sleep? So is there mm-hmm. a, a good nighttime routine that you should kind of begin to, you know, move towards? It's whatever works for you. Mm. So, but it's, it's trying. I mean, the ideal, here's the ideal. And then I I am also very much aware that many people don't have that time. I don't have it every night either. Mm. Try to allow for an hour. Mm. And if you can't do an hour, at least a half hour of dim light, stay away from screens is really the ideal. Um, and try to go old school. I know the screens is the a big one. The way you line. say that makes me tells me that it's the one thing that people lie to you about in your oh, office. It's so funny. It feels like so many people come to me and they're like, it's almost like they're in confession. Mm. So like halfway through, it's like I got to tell you, I'm using my screen in the middle of the night. I didn't want to tell you, but I'm. It you know it is what it is, and I get it. But it's it's there's two reasons that it's not great. So mm. the screens aren't great mostly because of the blue light from them. So that melatonin that our brains are trying to make. You're suppressing it because it's like Mm. you're staring at the sun. Mm. That's what's happening. So anything with a screen, that's a problem. But then there's also the the stimulation aspect. So people are looking at it and now they're looking at social media and they're thinking and they're, you know, whatever it is that starts the brain going and it can make it harder. And there's some studies that show that it can delay sleep onset by an hour. So yeah. It's not great. And it can worsen the quality of the sleep. And then people get so addicted to it that they wake up in the middle of the night with their phone, you know, that they have to check in the middle Mm. of the night or they keep it on. So then they're getting texts throughout the night and they hear buzzing. I mean, it's just not great. I'm a huge fan, honestly, of people just buying an alarm clock. I love, I still, I've been saying this constantly, but I still use the same alarm clock I had in high school. Really? Yep. It still works. Digital like a alarm wind- clock. Oh, no, no, just- no, no, no. A digital alarm clock that I have next to my bed mm. and I use it to this day and I love it. And I don't use my phone as an alarm clock. We don't need to use our phones as alarm clocks because mm. it's just too tempting. So yeah, before bed, it's really whatever works for you and try to do it if you have the space outside your bed. So I know that a lot of people live in studios or mm. don't have a lot of space. Try to at least be outside your bedroom or outside your bed, you want to work your way to bed when it's actually bedtime. Mm. So to read, reading is wonderful. Listening to anything on your phone, but not staring at the screen is fine. Relaxation exercises, meditation exercises. You just don't want to fall asleep to them. That's the goal. You want to be able to fall asleep independently. Does that, is that also true for falling asleep to Joe Rogan? I mean, it's, what happens one day if, if you've listened to all the Joe Rogans or you can't get, get one on your phone, your phone's out of battery? If you've trained yourself <laughs> to need his voice to fall asleep, what's going to happen if his voice isn't there one day? Yes. That's the problem. I see your point. Um, this came up in the Facebook group, though, mm-hmm. people saying that um, a particular listener said, my boyfriend needs complete quiet, yeah. but I do like to have something. And actually, her, her question was about comfortable sleep earphones yeah. so that she could still be plugged in. Yeah. See, I'm not a fan of that personally. Right. I 
I usually, honestly, because of the sleep timing, I prefer people to just go to bed a little later to time it with when you're actually really, really, really sleepy. Mm. You pair the bed now with being able to fall asleep. So I'd rather someone sit and relax and listen to something um, where they're not falling asleep with Mm -hmm. it on their face and then you get in bed and you fall asleep. It's just, it's just more of a, it's more of a training sort of thing Mm -hmm. because if you just need to rely on something to fall asleep, it's just what happens if it's not there that one day. It's reminded me a little bit about, I've uh, recorded episodes recently about, um, body positivity Mm -hmm. and within that um intuitive eating came up Mm -hmm. and how we've forgotten or we don't actually know when we're hungry yes because we override and now it's from what you're saying it's making me think we don't actually know when we're tired yes does that also mean we don't know when we're not awake because obviously we know when we're awake i mean we don't know when we're alert yeah well that, that that's a great point so a lot of people respond to being tired when they get in bed but if you have some trouble sleeping, or even a lot of trouble sleeping, a lot of people respond to being tired when they go to bed, but they don't respond to actually being sleepy. And there's a difference. Mm-hmm. So tired is that feeling of, I just don't have any energy. Mm-hmm. I'm just done. But sleepy is where you actually are yawning. Mm-hmm. You can't keep your eyes open. That's the signal that people lose, and they're just not in tune with anymore. And that's why changing that bedtime, wake time, and I talk about how to figure that out and mm-hmm. what that timing is in my book, that's what you really want to pair it with instead of needing something to train you to be able to get sleepy. So that's really interesting, the difference between tiredness Big difference. and sleepiness. Yes. And that's what people with insomnia who have trouble sleeping, that's what they often respond to when they go to bed. They respond to being tired, and that's why they don't fall asleep right away. It might take them a while to fall asleep. Mm. They're not actually sleepy. They just have no energy and they want to put an end to the day and just rest. Hmm. But that's not what the bed's for. And is getting into a routine the thing that will bring back that, i.e. understanding the hunger reflex, it will bring back the sleepy reflex? 100%. Yep. That's what I start to see. When people start getting better, they're complaining to me at the beginning of treatment, usually like two, three weeks in, they're like, I can't keep my eyes open. I'm falling asleep on the couch at 7 p.m. This is terrible. I'm like... (laughs) How long has it been since you've actually felt sleepy? Mm. I said, this is great. This is what we want, but we just need to push it into the right time frame. Mm. This is a great signal. And then when we get it in the right time frame and it all lines up, we know that they're getting better. So you said that was about two to three weeks in. How realistic is it to turn you around from not sleeping that great to actually sleeping well? It really varies. You know, like the research on cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, so CBTI, Mm. the research can vary. There's sometimes two sessions. I've had patients that are super motivated, not typically, not that complicated. They're not on any medication. Mm -hmm. Two, three sessions. I've had patients, I would say the average is six to eight sessions, but then some, it can take a lot longer. Mm -hmm. You know, some people have had insomnia for 20, 30 years, Mm -hmm. but that being said, some people have had insomnia 20, 30 years and they get better in two, three sessions. Mm -hmm. It really varies, but it it should not be a long-term treatment. If you're, if you're, you're doing everything that we suggest, and it's still not working after a few months, then we need to look at other factors that might be interfering or other treatment options. And cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. for insomnia. So my understanding of cognitive behavioral therapy is it's about changing thought processes. Yeah. So it's a little, it's, it's kind of a funky misnomer in my, in my opinion, because we talk about CBT a lot Mm -hmm. for anxiety and depression. It is that for this treatment, but it's a little bit different too. So like most of the people that I know, at least at home, they do it, but they don't do it for insomnia. They do it for depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it is changing your thoughts. So when we do it with insomnia, it's changing. What I hear people say all day long is if I don't sleep tonight, I won't be able to function tomorrow. 
And so it's changing. That's trash talk. It's trash talk. <laughs> so it's changing. What does that mean? Mm. Right? What does function mean to you? Because it means something different to almost everybody. Mm. And changing their negative framework of thinking at 2 a.m. because the rational part of your brain is not working at 2 in the morning. So changing, challenging the thoughts that you're having about not sleeping and being aware of the thoughts that you're having trying to force yourself to sleep. Mm. So I have to sleep tonight, otherwise X, Y, Z won't happen. People start to dread the night as it gets closer mm. if you have insomnia, and that's not good either. So it's being aware of the thoughts and how to challenge them rationally. Mm. If you have evidence for these thoughts actually being true, then we learn to problem solve it. We're not, it's not about happy thinking and positive thinking mm. all day long. It's being realistic. Then the behavior part is all the sleep hygiene stuff. It's not laying in bed awake, uh, tossing and turning, figuring out other things to do if you can't sleep, and then changing the sleep timing. And then mm. we throw in mindfulness, relaxation. It's a whole treatment package. That's where CBTI comes in. Um, it's a little different from the depression and anxiety stuff, yeah. but the cognitive part's very similar. It's, re- it's outlined really well in the book, actually. Thank you. Um, which I really appreciate because I do know that this book is staying on my bookshelf because I'm going to, I don't want to say relapse, but I'm definitely going to go through periods again because I always have. I mean, that's it. And I never, I I make sure to say to patients, there is never, you shouldn't ever say you're cured, Mm. right? It's a chronic thing that we have when it comes to insomnia. Stress happens, medical changes happen, hormones Mm. happen. You just have to take out your treatment, whether it's medication, behavioral, whatever it is, do another shot of the, mm. the treatment, and then you get back on track again. You have to roll with it. Roll with it. What does it mean when you're able to fall asleep, mm-hmm. but you wake up at 2 a.m. and then that's it, and then you fall back to sleep at around 6, 7 o'clock? <laughs> <laughs> and then you sleep until what? That's the... Well, this I'm talking very specifically about yeah. something that happened to me when I yeah. went through a period of stress at work, mm. and it was about, a, I think it was well over a year. Yeah. So it would I'd be able to fall asleep around midnight, I'd be up at 2 my mind would be racing then I'd fall asleep at around six seven o'clock but then I would go into a deep sleep and sort of foggily wake up at nine but it meant that I stopped exercising because I I lost that crucial two-hour window in the morning to be able to run so it impacted massively on my life actually it's horrible yeah but what but fundamentally (laughs) because this isn't about me listen this (laughs) is about you fundamentally there is a reason why yeah. you tend to wake up between two and three. Is it a cortisol jump? It could be a cortisol jump. Yeah, that's often what mm. happens. Um, you wake up, a lot of women who are perimenopausal, they'll wake up at mm. that time. They'll find that their brains are just active. But there's usually a cortisol jump. Usually um, it's we have those middle of night or early morning awakenings because of some sort of stress or anxiety mm. that's happening. So it's a really good... I. On yeah. this podcast, we've tried to talk about the fact that anxiety, depression, all of these things that happen, they're your body giving you a, like oh, yeah. in, a, in a vehicle where you get the red light saying, you know, yeah. tires flat. Yeah. It's your body saying something else needs to be addressed. 100%. Mm-hmm. And what I often say to people too is if you're waking, if you go to sleep without any issue, but you're going to sleep and you're doing work or you're thinking about the stressful things within that hour before going to bed, you might be sleepy enough to override thinking about it when you go to bed, but now you go to bed and you sleep for maybe two, three hours. Mm. Now you're going to wake up because you have, we, we naturally awaken throughout the night anyways. Mm. That's fine. But you go right back to sleep. Mm. But now you've had that sleepiness lifted a bit because you've taken essentially a long nap for a few hours. Whatever was on your brain right before you went to bed is going to be right there when mm. you get up. But now you're not as sleepy because you slept for a few hours. So it's going to be right there now. Right. So there are different ways to address it. One could be actually, it seems a little bit torturous, but 
to go to bed later or wake up earlier, don't have that mm. sleep in in the morning thing. Cause that's that common sense thing, right? I'm going to try and catch what I can, mm. but that's a big window, 12 to nine. It's too early to get up. So I'll just, exactly. Yeah. But if you break that cycle, it's painful to do at mm. the beginning. But if you break that cycle, sometimes you do start consolidating your sleep after a few weeks, mm. but then it's also figuring out what can I do mindfulness wise, relaxation wise in the beginning of the night, the hour before bed, mm. and then also figuring out what you're doing in the middle of the night. So there are definitely, um, there can be cognitive factors, worry uh, control techniques, relaxation techniques, not laying in bed, tossing and turning. Mm. You know, people are often on their phones in the middle of the night trying to mm. distract themselves. There are things that you should be doing, just not laying there, tossing and turning that are actually worsening it. Um, is there, um, I'm trying to think what the best way to describe this particular thing is, but is there a way of, well, what mindfulness do you promote? What do you think works best for people? Whatever you can do. That's how I look at it. Right. I don't really think that there's one more than another. I practice it myself, but I do it. I don't have a formal mindfulness practice where I sit for 10 minutes every morning. I, um, I'm a runner and mm. I run five, six days a week. And I like to, when I go running, I like to try and make a good five minutes into a mindfulness practice. I just turn mm. off whatever I'm watching or listening to and I just notice my thoughts. Mm. and then try to just be aware of them and let them go and then just focus on my breath usually mm. as I'm running. Um, I also turn just other moments throughout the day into mindfulness practice. So I don't like doing the dishes. I get, oh, I just get so angry when I'm doing the dishes and have to put them even just in the dishwasher. Yeah. I don't know why I have to wash off a dish before I put it in the dishwasher. But anyways, <laughs> so I get so frustrated with it. So I try to make that into a mindfulness practice. So I'll sit there and I'll just feel the soap or the water on my hands mm. for 30 seconds even and just try to notice my frustration thoughts and just notice them drift away mm. and just focus on the warmth of the water, the suds, describe what I see, mm. little things like that. When I get a manicure, um, I never used to sit and let them massage or they'd massage my hands, but I would never focus on that. I'd think about 8 million other things I had to do. Now I always sit and I just, that two minutes or however long they're doing a massage for on my hands, I sit and I focus on the feeling of that massage. Mm. That's a meditation or a mindfulness. It's always just being in the present moment. Mm. So that's how I practice it because I think of it like a muscle that you're strengthening in your brain to be able to mm. be aware of the thoughts you're having and just let them pass. Mm -hmm. And you can do it in a very focused exercise where you're sitting, being mindful of what you're eating, sitting for five minutes in the morning. When you get up, listen to the noises around you, look at the weather, whatever it is. But if you strengthen that muscle in very focused practices, when you go to bed at night, it will help you to be much more aware of being aware of the thoughts that you're having. Oh, am I going to sleep tonight? I have this to do tomorrow. And then just say, nope, not now. Let mm. me almost draw like a thought cloud or a bubble around mm. it and let it pass. Mm -hmm. And then get back on just focus on your breathing as you're going to sleep. That's how I practice mindfulness. Mm. I don't actually love people falling asleep in the middle of meditations because that's not how they're meant to be mm. done. They're meant to be done when you're awake, not yeah. asleep. So it's really meant to just help you be more aware of your thoughts and help to kind of let them pass to mm. focus on the ability to fall asleep. And what about breathing? I find yeah. if I if I'm getting to bed and I think, oh, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen tonight, that's yeah. when I'll just just try and do actually Dr. Rongan Chatterjee's um, mm -hmm. technique, the three, four, five breath yes. that he did when he came on the podcast. Just three in, hold for four, five out. Yeah, you can totally do that. I tell it, the rule of thumb when it comes to sleep though is usually we tell people not to stay in bed for more than twenty or so minutes. 
Because if you're in if bed, struggling. if you're struggling, ah. so if you're in bed for more than 20 minutes and I don't like the clock, I don't want clock watching other than having an alarm <laughs> clock in the morning. Yeah. So I don't want you looking at the clock. So guesstimate. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing that exercise and you keep doing it, but now you're lying there for a while, it's not working. You're fooling right. yourself. Get up, go sit somewhere else, do the exercise elsewhere if you want. Then you can do a meditation practice, mm-hmm. do something without a screen. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Go back to bed when you're actually sleepy. But you can do it for a little while. But if it's just not working for a while, that's fine. I tend to do my own um, deep breathing. There's a bunch. Of, I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many different ways to do it. I just do them where I deep. I breathe in. I say one, and then I exhale and I say relax, mm-hmm. and I just keep doing that. I go up to ten and back down to one. And if I've gone up to ten and back down to one and haven't fallen asleep, then I know I fooled myself. I'm gonna get out of bed and go sit somewhere else. Um, I very recently, it was actually at the Goop Summit when yeah. Elise Lunen came on the podcast. Um, she invited me along. And in the goodie bag, they had the five minute journal, which mm-hmm. I'd heard about for years. But actually, I find it a really nice thing to do when you wake up, listeners, you, and it's all done for you, you just have to fill it out. Yep. And it takes five minutes. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then in the evening, you just kind of summarize the day. And I have found that to be actually incredibly valuable. Exactly. Just like I was saying before, if it's on your brain, right when you go to bed, mm-hmm. it's going to be on your brain when you wake up at two in the morning. So get it out, mm-hmm. write it down, whether it's journaling, whether it's a to-do list. If you have a lot of worries mm-hmm. that are just the same worries over and over again, spend a little time an hour before writing them all down mm-hmm. on a piece of paper for 10 minutes. Where do you stand on supplementation? We're not talking about prescription drugs yeah, here. No, no, um, I'm not opposed to it at mm. all. But I, we do try to do it. We try to treat sleep without anything at the beginning because mm. we because that's what how we're supposed to sleep. Mm. Um, it really varies. You know, at least at home, most people tend to use melatonin. Mm. Um, it's not regulated by any government agency, and it's over the counter, mm. and so people miss. It's use it, and it's not. I mean, you can get bottles that have one dose inside, and another bottle will have a different dosage, mm-hmm. even though they're all labeled the same. Right. So, melatonin it's helpful for some people. It's really great for jet lag and mm-hmm. certain certain disorders, but not so much for insomnia. Mm-hmm. But I have patients who swear by it. But um, magnesium, some people use for a calming effect when it comes to hormonal issues. You black cohosh. Um, there, there's def, 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 definitely things that you can try, mm-hmm. but I always encourage people to talk to their physician first because just because it's over the counter doesn't mean it doesn't have interactions mm-hmm. with medical disorders that you have, other medications that you mm-hmm. might take. And just because it's over the counter doesn't mean it's not without side effects either. Mm-hmm. So people take melatonin at home like it's candy, but it can make you have more nightmares, more vivid dreams, make you feel dizzy during the day. Mm-hmm. It can be worse than some of the prescription medications. I know what I want to ask you because yeah. I know that we're on the clock a little bit. Um, sleep paralysis. Oh, sleep paralysis. What about it? So just what is it? Or Well, I, well okay, I, it happened to me again yeah. um, about three nights ago. <sighs> in this, And am I understanding it correctly that sleep paralysis is that when you... you Right, your brain wakes up, but your body doesn't. You got it. You're out of so, sleep. Yeah. So when we're in a stage of sleep called REM, mm. so REM sleep, rapid eye movement, that's a stage of sleep where you're vividly dreaming, you're having memory consolidation. Mm. It's a really important stage of sleep. Our brains have a natural mechanism to protect us so our muscles don't move. Mm. 
So some people who have very violent, like acting out and sleepwalking kind of disorders, it's a whole other type of sleep disorder, but it's their muscles don't get turned off. So they're acting out their dreams. So it's like when you see a dog dreaming about running. Exactly. (laughs) That video, the the dog probably had some sort of REM behavior disorder. disorder. It's not good. Um, But yeah, but sleep paralysis is essentially what happens is when you're in that stage of sleep, you're coming out of REM sleep, but your muscles haven't turned back on Mm -hmm. yet. It's a very, it's common. Mm -hmm. It's common, but... It often is a sign that you're having, you had some sort of um, sleep deprivation. Like I, I, I know someone who... Um, 100%. Uh-huh. I, know, I know a number of people who've had it, and someone who will go nameless right now, who was in law school at the time, um, who had it because he was sleep deprived. And I, he just like woke up and was like, Aah! like that. And it, it was terrible. Because I was so sleep deprived. It was my husband. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was bad, but that was just because it was a law student yeah. and it can happen. And that's what you have to treat first. So just make sure your sleep quality is good. Mm-hmm. You're getting enough sleep on a regular basis. If you continue to have it though, despite getting enough sleep, you definitely want to get it evaluated because mm-hmm. it can be a sign of other sleep disorders or other, sometimes medication cause it. You want to get it evaluated. Yeah. But it, it, the first thing is it's sleep deprivation. Yeah. I was very, very yeah. overtired. I really overdid it at the weekend with work and then went to a lovely mm-hmm. family thing. It happened the, the night after. Yeah. But I knew it was happening because I thought that my front door was being opened. I thought I could hear yes. all the machinations. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to shout out, oh, don't come in here. Yeah. And I went, Mah. yeah. So, and I was like, oh, okay, this is sleep paralysis. Yeah. So there was some kind of... You, would, you at least knew what it was. Yeah. When people have it for the first time, it's terrifying. Well, some people report that they feel like something's getting closer to them or something sits on their yep. chest. There is a really... Fa- I forgot the it's name the painting. of the painting. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's a monster sitting mm. on its chest. A little demon. Yeah, a demon. Exactly. Yeah. It's fascinating. But really, there is no demon. It is the fact that your brain and your body are out of sync. Yeah, Great. out of sync. See, I like, I like offering comfort because yeah. when it happens, it can be really scary. Yeah. And there are, like I said, you know, if you're someone who's having not just sleepwalking, but you're fighting in bed you're hurting yourself or someone else and it's much more of a violent Mm -hmm. thing you you need to get that evaluated for sure Mm -hmm. I think it's um oh I was gonna say it's just that it it's so comforting to know that this affects a lot of people and that it can sometimes feel like a very lonely thing yeah yeah but it actually isn't and the other thing I wanted to ask you about actually was sleep positioning yeah I have well is there a, a an optimum sleep position you know, it's different for everybody. Isn't it's it? different from everybody. It depends who you ask. Like if you ask an orthopedist or a chiropractor or someone, they probably have their own specific opinions. But I always look at it as just you know, what's going to get you the best sleep at mm-hmm. night. If you're someone who has chronic pain, just wherever you're most comfortable. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if you snore a lot, if you've been diagnosed with sleep apnea and they told you that you snore most on your back then you need to train yourself to sleep on your side. Because mm. there are some mild forms of snoring and sleep apnea where you just have to sleep on your side or your stomach and it fixes the problem. Mm. And you can train yourself very easily to do that. So there are fancy pillows, or not pillows, there are fancy t-shirts that have bumps on the back mm. that train you to just sleep on your side. I honestly just have people wear either a fanny pack um, or a, a pocket tee with a tennis ball that's sewn in the back and they wear oh. it backwards. And it just trains you so that you don't roll on your back. That's it. That's super easy. That's an interesting one. A lot of my friends will complain that their husbands snore. Yeah, and they they snore and they just don't want to like keep elbowing them in the middle of the night to roll on their side. So this is the solution they've come up with so they both can sleep well. Golf ball in the waistband. There you go. Yeah. 
There you go. I've heard that one before. Um, I actually weirdly recently have been, because I'm normally a front sleeper, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of, I throw myself on my front, like if I get frustrated that I'm not yeah. sleeping. So I'm like, oh, well, maybe this will work. Yeah. And I end up sort of ending up really far down the bed. Yeah. Which is just weird with my, with my and I'm not tall. So I'm like, yeah. Um, and I recently decided to get pillows and kind of almost like yeah. pad myself in yeah. and sleep slightly propped up. I've been sleeping like a dream apart from the paralysis. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's comfort. It's mm. really comfort. And I, the number of people I have who, have who say, I have to have a body pillow. I have to have this, mm. you know, it's whatever works for you, but you do have to be cognizant of, is it something that's so rigid that if you, can you, you know, can you take it with you? Or is mm. it something where like people will complain then if they get a bed partner or if they're traveling, mm-hmm. can they bring everything with them? Are they willing to have a night where they're not necessarily going to have all that stuff set up perfectly. Yeah. Yes. Because you can't. Right. That's the training stuff I'm talking about. Like you need all these things to be able to sleep well. What if it's not always there? Yeah. And it's like, we go to the gym, we work with personal trainers. Mm -hmm. I know some, I'm sure listeners, you've worked with a personal trainer or at least have had guidance. Yeah. And actually when you think about it, you spend a third of your life in bed. It makes sense to have someone like you on hand. Yeah. To kind of hold your hand through the tough spells. Right. Exactly. And I, I, I say this all the time. It's we focus so much on diet and exercise as being pillars of wellness. Mm. We don't focus on the sleep and I don't understand it. Mm. We're starting to more and more, but it's not at the same level and we need to because it's really going to affect the other areas of our lives. You're totally right. You like you understand the foods that don't agree with you, you understand the yeah. food that make you feel full, make you feel gassy. But then we haven't really and it's quite rigid. Like yeah. you have, but actually having a rigid understanding of what makes you sleep well. And we see very frequently in research that when people start to become anxious and depressed, like clinically, mm. sleep is often the first thing to go. Mm. But we don't always think about it. We just kind of power through. And then you get to the point where you haven't treated your sleep or done anything about it, that now you're clinically depressed. Like if we had just addressed the sleep, mm. just like we're addressing other things, we could really make so much more headway in the other things that we're looking at and trying to treat in our society. This has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've learned so much. And this book, The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia, Get a Good Night's Sleep Without Relying on Medication, (laughs) is the subtitle, is honestly, I do feel, I feel like I wish I'd read this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because I, I now feel like when I do wake up in the middle of the night and I won't put my phone on, if I am struggling and I think, oh, this isn't just... This is something else. This is a couple of nights in a row. This, yeah. I'll be able to go into the section. I'll be able to practice things. You're so kind. Thank so, you. Thank you for writing this book. Oh, it was my <laughs> pleasure. I want, I want people to really just better themselves in so many areas. And I really hope that a lot of people get a lot of help from it. It's been such a delight to talk to you. Listeners, obviously the links to Dr. Shelby Harris will be in the show notes. The link to the book will be in the show notes. Um, but thank you for your time so, so much. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Now, before you go, I just want to remind you how easy it is to get in touch with me. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on social media. I'm at Emma Guns, that's at E-M-M-A-G-U-N-S on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to have a chat with me and over 3,000 other listeners of the Emma Gunn show, then simply go to the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming and downloading this episode, and click the link to join. You have to answer those three questions, otherwise you won't get in, but answer those three questions, and the forum will open before you. Can't wait to see you there. Get your emails, get your DMs, just hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one.